How many have your, oh, how many of you started your Christmas shopping? Raise your hands. All right, those people that plan ahead, way to go, way to go. Well, I thought I'd give you some ideas, so I went into the Neiman Marcus website, and they've just got some awesome gifts. For example, they have this cobalt gold jet. Uh, it goes 330 miles an hour, three passengers plus the pilot. I mean, you can really get around. It's only cost you a million and a half. That's all. A million and a half, okay? Or how about... You get your own island, right? You don't like other people. You just want to have your own island. Well, this is down in Belize, off the coast there. And so you got two villas, uh, luxury villas, and also you have two, I assume, very nice cottages. And you can buy that for yourself. It only costs $60 million, which really isn't too bad when you talk about that type of real estate, right? <laughs> Or how about a day with Joe Montana? He will spend the day with you and teach you how to be a quarterback. I like Joe Montana. I don't really want quarterback license. I guess it would be cool to hang out with him. How much? $65,000. Or how about this, ladies? You can tell your husband. You want this one? There's a 24 and a half carat cluster necklace from Tiffany. What's the price? $100,000. Now, that's pretty cheap compared to everything else, right? <laughs> now, when you hear about these prices, and I watch <laughs> the prices go up, uh, you just have to say one thing, and that is, that's outrageous. So say it with me. That's outrageous, because it is. Who would waste their money on that kind of stuff unless you're a billionaire or something? Those are outrageous prices. Say it with me again. That's outrageous. Say it by yourself. Oh, come on. It's more outrageous than that. Give me something now. You ready? That's outrageous. Oh, that was good. That was good. Remember what you did and do it every time because we're going to keep saying this. It's outrageous. Okay? That's outrageous because today we're talking about God's grace. This is the end of a four-week series, and we studied four different parables from Jesus about God's grace. And this morning we're going to talk about the prodigal son. One of the most well-known stories in the world, Ralph uh, Emerson and Charles Dickens said it was the best short story ever written. Well, God wrote it, right? <laughs> that's, too much, that's not much of a surprise, but it really does grab you. And uh, so we're going to have fun looking into it today. Now, the first thing I want you to understand as we move into this story is you have to understand the culture. There are cultures in different countries that kind of control the people, one might say, control behavior. Now, if you're over in North Korea, well, that's, that's a fear culture, right? You're praying about that situation. 
in the United States, it's a guilt culture. People make us feel guilty. We naturally feel guilty. Sometimes there's a punishment involved. So that's what kind of drives our behavior. But back in that day in Israel, it was a shame-honor culture. A shame-honor culture. That meant you didn't think individually back then, which is quite different from the way we are uh, today. You thought as a family. So your family was a unit. And you wanted to have a lot of honor showered upon your family. That was the goal, okay? Let's continue to do the right things. Let's continue to help people. And the more honored you were, the more good things you did, your family name rose in the list. Went up in status. So everybody wanted to do something honorable. They didn't want to do anything shameful to bring something bad to the family. Name like Japan, right? They have a shame-honor society, and many times they'll commit suicide when they realize, oh, that was just terrible, and they can't forgive themselves. The culture won't forgive them, and they have no hope. We're looking at Luke 15, 1 through 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, let's talk about... Who's involved here? Uh, we have the tax collectors. It's interesting. Whenever they talk about the sinners, the tax collectors get a special category all themselves. Because, again, they were working for Rome. They were collecting taxes. So they collected the tax for Rome, but they could charge anything they wanted. Can you imagine that? You owe $100 and they charge you 1000 How much would you hate that person? How much would you despise that person? That's why they're always in a special category. And remember, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, right? He became a Christ follower. But Jesus hung around these people, sinners. He got thieves and criminals and uh, prostitutes, uh, all different types of sinners. I mean, these were people who said, no, that's a sinner. <laughs> they were all sinners, but these guys are the worst of the worst. Then we have the Pharisees, and they were the super-religious. They honored themselves. (laughs) They were so proud of themselves and how they followed all the 600-plus commands in the Old Testament. And then they even made new rules in order that they might be even above the people eat more. They wanted to have other people admire, respect them, Treat them in such a way like they were special because they were holy. They were close to God. When in reality, Jesus said that they were dead inside. They were just doing it for show. All about them, not about God. Then you have the scribes. They were the scholars who helped the Pharisees out keep track of all the laws. And they were grumbling. They said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, why do they say that? Well, again, back in that day, the shame, honor culture, you didn't want to hang around sinners because that brought a little shame your way. And that's who Jesus primarily hung out was with sinners, right? Yeah. He broke bread with them. In that culture, when you broke bread, it showed that you approved of this person. 
you were a friend with this person. And that just drove the Pharisees mad. Well, let's look at this wonderful story. And he said, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, forgive me the share, uh, or give me the share of the property that is coming to me. So this man had a wealthy, or he was wealthy, a big estate, and he had two sons. He had an elder son and a younger son. And back in that day, the elder son got the double portion, they called it. He got more. So in the inheritance, the eldest son got two-thirds of the land, while the youngest son got one-third of the land. That's what you see throughout Scripture. And so this son has decided that he no longer wants to be around his father. He no longer wants to be a part of the village that they live in. He no longer wants anything to do with any of that because he's looking for fulfillment in life. And so what he's going to do is he's going to get part of his inheritance. But wait a second. The father is not dead yet. Have you had your children come to you? Hey, could we have a little bit of that inheritance early? <laughs> now, you might give it to him generously, but at the same time, he wasn't dead. What was this guy saying? He's saying, I wish you were dead. I don't want anything to do with you. I want my inheritance, and I'm out of here. How painful would that be for a parent? I know probably there are many of you who have prodigal Sons and daughters, I talked to somebody after the service, and oh, it's just so incredibly painful. Yeah. So the Pharisees are listening to this. And what are they going to say about the fact that the younger son went and asked for his inheritance before his father was even dead? What do you say? Uh, that's good. One more time. That's outrageous! Yeah, the Pharisees are thinking, what are you talking about? That never, ever should happen. Talk about bringing shame on a family. That's the worst. <laughs> Sinners, you know, they're thinking, well, I could have got that with my dad. <laughs> they got some of the benefits like we'll see here. Luke fifteen eleven and 12. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger said to his father, Father, forgive me this share of property that is coming to me. Now here's the key phrase. And the father divided his property between them. Between them. Now, now that just... <laughs> the Pharisees, of course... You know, there were all kinds of books back in that day. And they all talked about, you know, how... Middle Eastern men should act. And they were to be, of course, uh, people you respect in the community. And if a, if a son ever came and asked for his inheritance, what would you expect the father to do? To kick the son out of his house? To disown him? To not give him one penny? It's just a terrible thing. So the Pharisees are listening to this. The young son, oh, he's brought incredible shame upon the family. But now the father actually 
gives him his inheritance. And what do we say about that? That's outrageous! What Middle Eastern man would do that? In fact, he's worse than his son. Talk about bringing shame on the family. It's just piling up here. And the father, what's your problem, man? Why'd you, why you, why you kick him out? No, you get him. Give him part of the uh, inheritance. Luke 15 and 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. Gathered all he had. So he had this land, but he couldn't sell it to a person so they could use it right away. He would have to sell it to them, and they would have to wait until his father's death. So what did he do? He discounted the price. Right? Got what he got for it. And in that culture... Land was very, very important. And we move around here and there and you know, whatever. <laughs> Find a good deal. We're not thinking about the land. We're not thinking about, now this is Harrison land here. And we're going to enjoy the Harrison land. No! I'm not thinking about that. But back then, land was very much associated with the family. And that's one of the reasons between the conflict between the Israelis and Palestinians, because they feel very strongly about their land and who owns their land. And so he liquidated everything and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his proper property in reckless living. You can just imagine, right? I mean, this kid has all kinds of money. He he's wealthy, and now he says, "Okay." He goes into a self-discovery mode, like many people do here in the states and around the world. They say, "Okay, how can I have fun in life? How can I fulfill myself?" So I can imagine his son is throwing parties every night, and you know he has a lot of friends, right? Because you want to follow the friend who has the cash to to throw the party. So, yeah, I mean, people could believe it. Every night a party, and he spent a lot of money on prostitutes. So he was pursuing his different lusts, saying, what will satisfy me? I'm looking for that. Self-discovery. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. When he had spent everything. In today's dollars, that's probably a couple million dollars. His dad was wealthy. And he spent it all. He just kept spending and spending and spending until it was all gone. And what happened to his friends? They're out of there, right? Money's gone. Hey. Thanks for the good time. We're out of here. He was alone. There was a severe famine. Famines were very common in that area. Uh, Millions of people died from famines. In fact, when a famine came, people would actually eat their garbage. They would eat their sandals. They would eat 
stray animals. They would even eat the afterbirth of their children. That's how bad it was. And that's where we find this young man began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. This guy is just dying. He needs something to eat, so he gets this job, and he's feeding the pigs, and I guess there are other people around, but they can't eat the pods. A good Jewish boy in a pig pen. Right? Wow. (laughs) You can't really get any lower than that, right? I think that's what Jesus Christ was doing with this parable. He was coming up with the ultimate sinner. The worst of the worst. There should be a reality show. The ultimate sinner. You got Big Brother, Survivor, uh, Amazing Race. My wife has been watching a, a show called Snapped. And she's got like 30 episodes and... Each episode talks about how a wife killed her husband. And I just want to let you guys know if anything happens to me, okay? You know? But what about the ultimate sinner? The ultimate sinner. You know, we have such a drug crisis going on here in America with fentanyl. And what if... The cameras just followed a person around as they took the dive and the drugs and they went deeper and deeper and deeper until they overdosed. Now, why wouldn't people want to watch that show? They don't want to see the consequences of sin. They're looking for the good times of sin. And what Jesus Christ has done here is he created the ultimate sinner. I mean, the Pharisees, they're just, they're under the collar. They're thinking, what are you talking about? What, what planet are you coming from to tell this story? But you know what? The sinners, what were they thinking? I can identify with that. I can identify with pursuing pleasure and ending up with nothing. I can identify with having nothing. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Don't you love that? But I came to myself. When he came to himself, when he came to his senses. Don't you have people that you are praying for right now, that they would come to their senses. Anybody? Well, of course, there's a lot of people who aren't following healthy senses. (laughs) They're really off track, like prodigal children. Yeah. Here he is. The ultimate sinner. And Jesus Christ is saying, this is who I love. He comes up with a plan. He says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven 
and before you. Finally, the Pharisees are saying, okay, now this is making sense. He's asking forgiveness. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. He really had hit the bottom, hit rock bottom, right? A lot of you guys work with different people who struggle with different addictions. And it's, it's amazing how low they can go. And it could happen to any one of us. As we're all susceptible to sinful lifestyles. But, but he had hit bottom. And he realized that he needed to confess his sin to his father. Verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the Pharisees are saying, Amen. That's for sure. You should never be his son again. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I really think that the, uh, the younger son thought this would never happen. He said, you know, I'll give it a shot. It's the only shot I have. He's going to go to his father and say these things. And he arose and came to his father. So he started to approach the village. And you've got to remember that everybody hates this guy for what he's done. It's just terrible. In fact, I think that the father runs out to see him just to keep him safe. I think if he came into the village alone, they might have killed him. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt something and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Would the father feel? Feel enraged? Hateful? Revengeful? Bitterness? I think a lot of us would respond in that way, wouldn't we? I mean, a son that we brought up and that we invested in and loved has just turned our lives upside down and has caused so much pain. Those are all common responses. But what does the Bible say? He saw him and he felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Compassion. And, and he was waiting there. He was waiting for his son to come home and he saw him from a distance. And he ran. Now, you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, you know, elders in that society did not run. Kids ran. Moms ran after kids. But elders did not run. They always walked. Now, if they had to run, they got this big robe, and they'd have to pull it up. And, you know, our legs, guys, as we grow older, aren't that great looking. <laughs> that's good to have a robe down there, right? But, but that's what he would have to do to run. And that would bring shame upon the family. He does not care because he loves his son, and he wants to get to him as soon as possible. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. I remember, this guy just came out of the pigsty, right? <laughs> Not real pleasant. But he didn't care. My son has come home. He's overwhelmed with joy. There is no bitterness, no hatred, any of that 
there's just love. There's just grace that comes from this Father. Now, how do we feel about that? That's outrageous! I mean, this is really, really outrageous to pull you in. So let's say it like that. That's outrageous! It's outrageous that an elder in that village whose son treated him so badly that when he shows up after, who knows, five years, comes back and he runs, he picks up his robe, he runs, and then he embraces him and kisses him. That's outrageous. It's hard to understand. Hard to understand. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he had thought it out. He was just going to confess his sin, and maybe, maybe there was a long shot that his father would forgive him. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. What? doesn't make any sense at all. The father really has lost his mind, hasn't he? I think he has. He's lost his mind and he's just not acting normal at all. I mean, the best robe, that's his robe. Put my robe on my son. Put the ring on his hand, which is the, uh, the signet ring, the sign of the authority of the family in terms of, you know, give him money away and that type of thing. He had to have that. And shoes on his feet. Only wealthy people wore shoes. And so he gave him shoes. And then, this, this is even crazier, right? And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Now, friends, the fattened calf was a delicacy in that day. Most people never tasted a fattened calf. Only rich people had fattened calves. And so what this gracious father does, remember, everybody hates this kid, right? He invites the whole village over to his estate and they celebrate with a fattened calf and no matter what the people in the village thought, they said, hey, I'm getting some of that fattened calf. <laughs> <Right? laughs> they let us celebrate. My son has been lost and now he is found. Now, isn't that? That's outrageous. Come on. It's outrageous. He put him back in the same position and he did something that he never did before. Fed a fattened what is that? That's outrageous. Come on, help me here. That's outrageous. Now, I'm going to help you understand how outrageous this is to put it into our culture today. Let's say that uh, you have a prodigal. 
They've been gone for 10 years, no communication, anything like that. And they come to the door. Now, if you're going to act like this, that father, this is what you're going to do. First of all, you're going to get him a new Mustang. You say, hey, we've got to get you some wheels. Let's get down there. and hey, That's your favorite car. We'll buy it. And then we'll go over to Joseph A. Smith's and other stores. You need a wardrobe. I mean, you stink. You better go take a shower. Right? On top of that, we're going to the bank. I put $100,000 in your savings account. I want to make sure you're provided for. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite all the people that prayed for you. Like 50 people. And we're going down to Morton's Steakhouse. And I'm going to treat everyone. What do you think about that? That's outrageous! Right? You know it now! <laughs> you tell me your prodigal son comes home who's caused so much pain and you go out and buy him a Mustang? No. You buy him a whole new wardrobe? No. You have a big party? No. And again... You know, you have to earn the trust of the Son and things of that nature and kind of walk along with Him. But not this dad. I mean, he just opens it up because his son has come home. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Wow. Isn't that cool? There's another part to this story that I don't have time uh, to talk about, but it's the other prodigal son. Tim Keller's written a wonderful book. You should pick it up. Uh, It's about the fact that there were two prodigal sons. So the elder brother, okay, who has watched his foolish younger brother go off, waste the inheritance, all those type of things. He's out in the fields, and all of a sudden he starts to hear music. There's a party going on. So he sends a servant to check it out, and the servant comes back and says, Yeah, your brother's home, and they've killed a fattened calf, and they are going to town. And you can imagine the elder brother. I mean, he was so angry. He said, Listen, I have been faithful to my father. I have cleaned up the mess that my younger brother has created. I have taken care of this property. And he says to his dad, and you never even gave me a goat party, which is below that calf. Oh, he is really ticked off. And don't, don't you understand? You might feel that way, right? I mean, come on, what's the big deal? The guy came home. The jerk came home. But it wasn't a jerk because the father forgave him. What's really interesting here is that who do you think the elder son represents in the story? The Pharisees, right? Because they had done everything right. They followed all the laws, all the rules. They're very proud about it. And so when they see these sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, all that kind of thing, they say, oh, you are the scum of society. That's the way they treated them, like scum. 
But Jesus Christ comes to this world and tells a story about that when a a lost sinner is found. Grace is going to flow. Grace over the person's sin. Grace over the person's life. It's the most incredible thing. And that's, that's the whole point. He's trying to say, this is what happens when people come into my kingdom, no matter who they are. Because again, we look at the Pharisees and say, well, at least they were following the law. But they were dead inside, just like the younger son. The younger son said, okay, I'm going to try everything out in life and see what's going to satisfy me. They were both sinners. There wasn't a degree of difference between them when it comes to how God viewed them. But friends, when you come to Jesus and you're broken and you feel like one of the sinners and you say, I I don't know, God's not interested in me. I I have just ruined things. I've hurt so many people. And I was talking with a woman who recently came back to God and she felt that God was so very far away. Because why would God? Be interested in me. I messed up my life. Well, he specializes in people like you. Because we all mess our lives up because we're sinners. And whether it be the elder brother, the Pharisees, or the younger brother, the sinners, they both would have to come to Jesus and would have to repent and would have to confess their sins And say, God, I am a sinner. I've got nothing. But I want to accept your free gift of salvation. This can even bleed into the Christian life. Let's say that uh, you're a Christian. God's in you, but you're kind of pharisaical. You know, you're kind of looking down on everybody. I just can't believe that. Why did that person... I knew that was going to happen. That was just going to... They were going down the wrong track. And we feel that we're so, you know, holy. That's sin. Because you're not that holy in your behavior. But you're seen as holy from God. So we've got to be careful. We can fall into judging other Christians who aren't doing this or doing that. You need to help them. You need to encourage them into a walk with God that really makes a difference. And then there are some... Christ followers who say, hey, well, you know, I got grace covered. I'm going to go ahead and live my life the way I want to live it. And that's just as wrong. Maybe you can relate to one of those categories. But friends, my, my heart desire is that if you're here today and you feel like a sinner, we're all sinners, but you're starting to really feel it, And you feel so far from God. And you think to yourself, God doesn't want anything to do with me. God is angry at me. There's no way I can approach Him. Start to understand God's grace. Some people say, well, I understand God's grace. No, you don't. No, you don't. I mean, maybe 5% of His grace. Other people who walk with Christ for many years might 
30%. But his, his grace is unlimited. And all you have to do is come to God and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I want you as my Lord and Savior. And that changes your life. And I'm going to be down front here if anybody wants to talk about that type of decision because that's what this church is all about. It's reaching sinners just like us, right? Reaching sinners and building passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And it is the most precious message that we have to give to others. Let's pray. Oh, dear Lord, I know your Holy Spirit is working in some hearts this morning. And they're feeling that tug. They're feeling that conviction. And say, yeah, you know, I thought about making that decision, but I didn't really want to (laughs) go all the way with it. But they have been blessed by your grace this morning. They have felt a warmth. They have felt a new connection with you because the Word of God has been taught and you are a graceful God. I pray that they would come just as they are. They don't need to change anything. Well, I've got to at least come to church every week before I do this. No, you do nothing. God wants nothing from you except your humility. Please, please, make that decision. In Christ's name, amen.